And, uh, and today, we're continuing in week two of a series that we started last week. It started kind of unusually. We launched it online um, on January 1st. If you haven't seen that first installment, I really want to encourage you to watch it because it really sets the stage for what we're going to be discussing over the next several weeks and what we're talking about. Um, but not only that, last week, I unpacked something called the Lectio Divina, which is a Latin fancy way of saying divine listening. And uh, it's really a way that we approach the Bible and a way that we lean into the Bible specifically to hear God's voice, to hear God speaking to us. And so we've got a bookmark that you got when you came in today that kind of outlines that. So if you wondered what that was connected to, that was last week's message. And then we also have some specific Lectio Divina journals. If you don't have your own journal, you want to start something new, those are also available in the commons um, for you as well. But if you watched last week's message, then you know the basic premise of this series, and I, and I think it's, um, it's a challenging one. Uh, I mentioned this last week that I think everyone, everyone wants to live a life of purpose and meaning. I don't think there's anybody that wakes up any day and goes, hey, I just want to live a meaningless life. Like, I would love a, a life with no purpose. Everybody, like universally, we all want to live lives of meaning and purpose. We all want to experience a life that we would consider rich, that we would say this is a deep life, this is a deep existence, this is meaningful, there's, there's texture to this life, there's, there's contrast, there's experience to this whole thing, and yet what I discover is that for most of us, we just sort of skip across the surface of life, we skim across life and never experience those depths. Which is ironic, um, because if you're a follower of Jesus, and, and I assume a lot of us in the room may already be those, that kind of life, a life of meaning and a life of purpose, a life that's got texture and it's rich and, and beautiful, is exactly the kind of life that Jesus is offering us. Like, it's exactly the thing. He came to say, I, I came to give you life and life to the fullness. Like, I want you to experience life. And so there's this ir irony that we have this longing. Like, on one hand, we have Jesus saying, I came that you would have life and life to the full. Like, I want you to experience all the textures and all the colors and all the beauty and the meaningfulness of life. And on the other hand, we have us over here and our souls are literally longing for it. Like we want a life of meaning. We want a life of purpose. We want to know why we get up in the morning. We want to experience depth and we want to experience all those things. And yet there's this gap in between. And so what do we do with this? The distance between where I stand and what Jesus has for me. What do we do with this? Dallas Willard said this, and one of my favorite authors, he said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. So here's the good news, and this is why I share this quote and why I think it's important we talk about this. You're not alone. Like, if you ever sit around and think to yourself, I'm the only one who maybe feels like I follow Jesus, but I don't have a life of depth or a life of meaning, let me just tell you, you're not alone. This is a universal experience. You're not the only one who feels this way. You're not the only one who says, I want something that's deeper, or I want something that's slower. I want something that has more meaning to it. We all have this desire, that sense that, that you want more is universal, which is why I believe this series of talks is really essential for us, and it's why we're starting a new year with this, 
because we're looking at pathways that lead us into that kind of life. What are the things that we can engage in? Last week, the Lectio Divina, this idea, what can I do to actually lead myself into this? What are the things that will carry me into that kind of experience? And, and by the way, Jesus is really clear. When, when we wonder what is the way to find that life, Jesus literally says, I am the way. Like, he is the path. He literally would tell everyone and anyone who would listen to him that he is the way, the literal pathway to that kind of life. But the question is, how do we find it? How do we hear his voice? How do we experience his presence? That's what this is really all about. And that's what this series is about. We're finding new life, and we're actually looking at some ancient pathways. We're looking at things that have been around for a really long time that lead us into this kind of experience. And those that have gone before us, if you ever look at somebody or you hear stories of somebody who have experienced those depths or they've lived that kind of meaning, odds are they've walked out these pathways. They've experienced these things that we're talking about. So last week was the way of listening, the Lectio Divina, the way of listening to Jesus. And this week, we're gonna talk about the way of beauty. And I say that knowing that probably some of you immediately ask the question, how can beauty be a pathway? How is beauty a pathway towards engaging God in a meaningful way? Well, let me just say this. Not only is it a pathway, but it's a really important one, especially in the day in which we live today. And, and I, wanna, I wanna actually unwind or rewind just a little bit in human history and go back about a thousand years. A thousand years ago, um, during the Russian, uh, Russian prince Vladimir's reign over Russia, um, he was essentially a pagan prince. He had no um, orientation towards any sort of faith or religion. And yet he wanted to unite the people of Russia under one religion. And so he sent an envoy out. He sent out a delegation to all the different places in the world where there were different world religions. And Vladimir's idea was that when these people came back, they would give reports about these religions, and then he would decide based on their reports what the best religion was, and then he would announce that as the official state religion of Russia, and then the people would be united under that thing. So these delegations, they all go out, and they come back and they report to him, and he's listening to all of these different things, and then there's the delegation that comes from Constantinople, the Byzantine capital, and these, these individuals report this to him. This is what they said. We knew not whether we were in heaven or on earth, for surely there is no such splendor or beauty anywhere upon earth. We cannot describe it to you. Only we know that God dwells there among men and that their service surpasses the worship of all other places. We cannot forget that beauty. They reported on the beauty of what they saw in Orthodox Christianity. It was the beauty. It, it wasn't the theology. It wasn't the ethics. It wasn't the apologetics. It was because of beauty. And Vladimir chooses beauty for the state religion. For for thousands of years, and this is really important for us to understand, for thousands of years, humanity has made the connection between what is beautiful and what we would consider to be holy or sacred. We've connected our feelings associated with appreciation of what is beautiful with our, with our longing for the divine. But then we come to today's day and age, the day in which we live in today, and our sense of urgency, our demand of convenience, the materialism that we live in, this idea that like, we only value what we can touch or feel or own, it has forced us into a place where we're ignoring one of the most essential aspects of what it means to connect with our creator. And yet, from the very beginning, 
Beauty has always been a pathway used by God to connect with us, his most complex creation. We are the most complicated thing God created, and he uses his creation to communicate and connect with us. And it's not limited to nature, but nature is such a beautiful example of this. I mean, think back to this. If you go back to the very beginning, the origin story of humanity in the book of Genesis, where do we come from? If you look at where the story starts, he put Adam and Eve, he starts the people, and where does the story begin? In a garden. In a garden, in this beautiful place in nature. A beautiful, fruitful, blossoming, expansive, wild garden. It was in nature. And God met them there in the cool of the morning. It says in Genesis chapter 3 that they heard God moving through the garden. In nature, there was this experience of encountering him. You move forward to Exodus chapter 3. There's the story of Moses. Some of you know this story. But in Exodus chapter 3 verse 1, listen to these words. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So when does God speak to Moses? In the wilderness. It's in the wilds. It's through fire. It's through these beautiful things that he's encountering. Maybe you've taken a hike somewhere. Maybe you've gone off and you've, you've hiked along some sort of stream or creek. Or maybe you've heard the wind blowing through the pines. And you've had moments in which you could almost hear the subtlety of God's voice as he speaks to you. That's what's being described. The sense that out in the wild, God is moving and God is speaking and he's communicating Can God use the beauty of his creation to communicate to his people? Are we listening if he's using that? There's this really well-known psalm that David wrote, Psalm chapter 19, that says that exact thing. Listen to what God's word says about how he communicates. Verse one, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. I love reading a about the sun on days like today, right? (laughs) We need to be reminded that someplace out there, it's still there, right? But David seems to indicate that God is speaking to us through his creation. God is revealing himself to us. He's saying things to our souls, to our lives. A few chapters later, we read one of his most well-known poems, Psalm 23, where he describes lying down in green pastures and being led to still waters in order to restore his soul. Is it possible that the restorative work of the soul happens in nature, in beauty, Like when we observe the beauty of God's creation, is that when the restorative work happens inside of us? I personally love this other psalm that David wrote. I love it because, and I'll get to it in just a moment. I love it because there's this tendency 
to allow this relationship that we have with God, this, um, this faith construct that we walk in and live in, this idea of connecting with our creator, we have this tendency to allow it to decay, especially in today's day and age. We allow it to decay into something that's called moral theistic deism. Um, it's this idea that, um, that, that God is distant. It's a deistic view of God. God's fairly distant. We're just supposed to live good, comfortable lives. And the only time we ever really interact with God is, is in order to ask something of him or for him to make our lives more comfortable. And so we kind of live in this weird tension with God. That's the idea. And, and we sort of disintegrate into that kind of thinking. Like, I'm just kind of doing my thing and God's doing his thing. And every now and then I hope he intervenes and makes my thing better. That's kind of a basic idea of this. But this psalm that David writes it's so much more than that. It's so much more beautiful. It confronts this idea that God is distant, but it also in a very subtle way, it confronts this idea that God's primary role is to make us comfortable. Like, listen to this. Listen to what he says in, in Psalm 29, starting in verse three. He says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry in his temple all cry glory the Lord sits enthroned over the flood the Lord sits enthroned as king forever David writes this psalm in the middle of a storm you can imagine him under a tree or in a cave watching the thunder watching the rain watching the wind and he's writing about the voice of God in this moment there is this awareness as he's witnessing this there's this sense that as you read David's words he knows I am not the center of this story there is a God who is wild and moving and I'm a part of the story but I'm not the center of the story he is he is moving he's doing something he's working and in the beauty of the storm, in the beauty of creation, David is learning about God and he's learning about himself in this moment. Words are being spoken in the storm. And we get this sense, when you listen to David's words, you get this sense that the wilderness is the original cathedral of God. Literally, he says, the Lord sits enthroned in his temple. The temple is the wilderness, the wilds, the beauty of creation. There's this idea that that is the cathedral. And by the way, if you fast forward to the New Testament, that whole idea continues with Jesus. Think about this. When Jesus wants to meet with his father and commune with him, where does he go? He goes into the wilderness over and over again. Jesus goes to the wilderness. He goes to these quiet places out in the wilds in order to connect with his father. He immersed himself in the beauty of creation in order to hear the father's voice. So what you see throughout the scriptures is that beauty and nature, they are inextricably linked to this deepening intimacy with God. You cannot disconnect them. In fact, in the 1200s, um, one of the church fathers, um, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, who we, he's one of the most respected church leaders in history. He wrote the Canticle of the Sun, the song that he wrote around this very idea. And I just want to read it for you and have you just listen to this. Listen to these words. 
Most high, all-powerful, all-good Lord, all praise is yours, all glory, all honor, and all blessing. To you alone, most high, do they belong. No mortal lips are worthy to pronounce your name. Be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, brother, son, who brings the day and you give light through him. And he is beautiful and radiant in all his splendor. Of you, most high, he bears the likeness. Be praised, my Lord, through sister moon and the stars and the heavens, and you have made them bright and precious and beautiful. Be praised, my Lord, through brothers' wind and air and clouds and storms and all the weather through which you give your creatures sustenance. Be praised, my Lord, through sister water. She's very useful and humble and precious and pure. Be praised, my Lord, through brother fire, through whom you brighten the night. He is beautiful and cheerful and powerful and strong. Be praised, my Lord, through our sister mother earth who feeds us and rules us and produces various fruits with colored flowers and herbs. Be praised, my Lord, through those who forgive for love of you, through those who endure sickness and trial. Happy those who endure in peace, for by you, most high, they will be crowned. Be praised, my Lord, through our sister, bodily death, from whose embrace no living person can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Happy those she finds doing your most holy will. The second death can do no harm to them. Praise and bless my Lord and give thanks and serve him with great Humility. St. Francis, not only does he see God moving and speaking through creation, but he sees himself rightly immersed in it. See, beauty is a pathway towards intimacy with God. Beauty is not some superfluous add-on to our lives that just sort of makes life survivable, like, oh, every now and then I'm just gonna maybe enjoy something. It is a pathway. We are formed. We are shaped by, if we allow, beauty. In it, we understand the deep beauty of the love of God who pours out his blessing, his beauty on creation. We understand who he is. When we observe beauty, there is a humility that comes over us. Like Assisi, he sees, he sees the world and there's a humility as he sees his place in it. But at the same moment, there's dignity gained as you realize I'm a part of what God has created. He has made this earth and I'm a part of this. There's perspective that's gained as we encounter the grandeur of what God has done. And then there's even the possibility that like Elijah, we hear this still small voice of God in the wind, whispering to us, encouraging us, challenging us. Years ago, I started thinking about the word awe and its connection with our, our relationship with God. Awe is an experience, like when you have a moment where you experience awe, you know it. It's just really hard to put into words. Like try to describe to someone sometime what awe feels like. Well, it's hard to describe. And yet when you encounter it, you know it. When you experience awe, you feel it. When you witness beauty, you experience awe. And when you experience awe, you experience God. Uh, I have a really close friend who for years... Um, He's uh, was a professed atheist, 
and really close friend, like a brother to me, family holidays together, we traveled together, and, uh, and he would love to introduce, we would go places, and he would introduce us as the pastor and the atheist, and uh, he really got a kick out of that. Like everybody, he's like, yeah, and people would know him. He's like, he's my friend, he's like my best friend, he's a pastor, can you believe that? And people were literally like, no, we can't, because you are like a total atheist. And, uh, and so we're, we're super close. And, and one day he calls me. He's like, hey, let's get together. Let's talk. And so um, just kind of a normal hangout is what I thought I was getting into. And so I meet him. We sit down. We're chit-chatting for a few minutes. And after a couple of minutes, he goes, hey, buddy, I got to ask you a really serious question. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, where are we going? I have no idea what this is going to be. And he says, is it possible to follow Jesus and not believe in God? And I just like... I paused and I thought, well, this is the first time I've ever been asked that, right? This is a new question. And so I said, well, like, what do you, what do you mean? Tell, talk to me about what, what's causing this. And he said, well, listen, he said, everybody that I know that's a devout follower of Jesus, they are like my favorite people in my life, but I don't believe that God exists. And so I want what these people have, but I don't believe in God. So can I follow the teachings of Jesus and still be an atheist? And I, and I, and I'm like, it's oh, a pretty good idea. I mean, I, you got some good thoughts. I'm like, like wrapping my brain around it. And I just, I sat back and I said, well, you have to understand that fundamentally the way of Jesus is not about behaving particular ways or following particular teachings. What Jesus is doing is opening us to a relationship with God. It's a connection with our creator. It's not about us following a set of rules or, or regulations. And so I unpacked all of that for him. And then I started talking a little bit further and I sort of borrowed some of this uh, from Paul Tillich, the American German philosopher. And I said, there's, there's basically four ways that people connect with God or the way that they talk about God. Four ways that people talk about God. God as a being, God as a hyper being, God as the ground of being, and God as event. And he just said, well, you know, what are you talking about? And I said, well, like, we can imagine, like, a lot of people will talk about God like God is a being like us. Like, we can imagine gray-haired, grumpy God living in an apartment upstairs, and that's the God that we can sometimes think about. God is a being, and he's a lot like us, and he feels like us, and he talks like us, and he moves like us. But then there are others who think of God as, as beyond that, the hyper being. It's like, uh, it's like they can imagine that God has superpowers, right? And so we can imagine a God who is beyond us. Like I, I think God might be like me, but God is actually maybe beyond me. There are dimensions that I don't fully comprehend. I can comprehend a God that I don't comprehend fully. And so that's God as hyper being. And I, I described that to him. And then I said there's God as the ground of being. Like when the Apostle Paul in uh, Acts chapter 17 is in Athens and he talks about the, God being the one in whom we live and we move and we have our being. Or in Colossians where he talks about all things being held together by, by the Christ. This idea that God is the one in whom we move, we breathe, we live, we exist in the essence and the presence of this God that is, that is the ground of being. And then I said God as event. And he said, what in the world is God as event? event. And he and I used to mountain bike a lot together. And I said, you know, when we climb a mountain and you get to the top and there's that moment when you look out over the expanse and something comes over you like awe. And he suddenly drops an expletive and I go, what's going on? And he goes, I think I've experienced God. I said, exactly. You have See, our response 
to beauty is a powerful way that God uses to get our attention. In fact, I was really surprised. This week, I was scrolling through the New York Times. And this week, I found this article. How a bit of awe can improve your health. I love it when the New York Times helps me write my sermon for the weekend. It's amazing. It's like, this is awesome stuff, right? So obvious. I was fascinated. I was like, okay, like I'm diving in. So I'm reading this. And here's an article that seemed to be supporting the very thing that I'm preaching today, right? Here, the New York Times is saying, like, you need awe in your life to be a healthy person. In fact, tell me if this doesn't sound like a definition of beauty-inspired worship. Listen to this. Dr. Kelter, who wrote this incredible book, said this, awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your understanding of the world. Doesn't that sound a lot like worship? Like he goes on to write and says that awe is critical to our well-being, just like joy and contentment and love are. In fact, his research, he suggests that, that it has tremendous health benefits for us to experience awe. Like we calm, our, our nervous system calms down physiologically when we have moments of awe. Things change inside of us. Our oxytocin levels, they increase. That's the love hormone. It promotes this trust and this, this connecting, this bonding. Awe, he says, reverses the effects of negative self-talk and silences our inner critic. As I read on in this article, I was just fascinated because I felt like I was reading about somebody coming from a completely different side to this thing that Christians for centuries have understood. Like there's this awakening that's taking place, this understanding. It, it leads to an interesting idea. It seems that so many people today are searching for some form of spirituality to give them what materialism has failed to deliver. They're looking for beauty. And oftentimes what we give them is logical arguments. We give them ethics, we give them morality, but what they're looking for is mystery. They're looking for beauty, like Vladimir, a thousand years ago, choosing what was beautiful, because beauty has a way of getting past our defensiveness and our, and our barriers, and it communicates things that we never imagined. There's an entire generation of people who are suspicious and unconvinced, but there is this surprising allure of beauty. If we could recapture the beauty of this story. See, the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus invites us to scan for beauty in the world. That's what he's inviting us into, to find beauty, to form our lives around beauty. This is why Paul in Philippians 4 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. It's this idea that we focus and center our lives on what is beautiful because God communicates through beauty. God is in the beauty and it's not limited to nature. We find beauty in others. We find beauty in our relationships. When we watch people connecting with each other. We find beauty in moments. We find beauty in, in art in paintings, in music, and in dance. We find beauty in food. At least I do. There's beauty there, right? We find beauty in places that we never expected. And, and God is inviting us and saying, I'm communicating to you through the beauty. And here's the beautiful thing about beauty, if I can say that. It's accessible to everyone, and there's no limit on how much you can have. You realize how rare that is? 
Like everything else in life, there's limits, right? You walk into this room, there are occupancy signs over the doors that tell you how many people can legally sit inside this room, right? You apply for a college program. There's only a limited number of people that get into that program. You apply for a job, only three people are getting it and you might not be one of them. Everywhere we go, we're always being told the limitations and yet when it comes to beauty, there are no limitations. It is an all-you-can-eat smorgasbord anytime you want, especially in the Northwest, amen? Like you can experience it. There's this endless supply of beauty. It's as endless as the, the vastness of the universe that we find ourselves in. You can engage it anytime you want. And don't be surprised if when you do, you discover your creator or you hear the whisper of his voice. Um, I can't make you take a walk in the woods. I'd like to. But I am gonna ask you to take a moment right now and I want you to consider some beauty. I'm gonna show a series of images on the screen and I think there's something deep and beautiful about absorbing these images and letting God speak. And so we're gonna work through these images and I just want you to watch and appreciate beauty in this moment. Let's watch these together. The God of the universe made this. We live in it. It is wild. It is powerful. At times it's unruly, but it is beautiful. Everything about Jesus is beautiful. We're going to take communion together, and so I encourage you to take out the communion elements. You know, everything about Jesus is, is beautiful. His, his life, the life that he lived, the, the miracles. Like I think about Jesus, the, the moments when he went to people who were untouchable, people who hadn't been hugged or touched in years because of leprosy. And you think about Jesus touching those people. It's beautiful. I, I think about the friendships that Jesus cultivated around him. They're just these beautiful friendships, these life-giving relationships. I think about his grace, his mercy, the way that he just showed compassion to people. It's beautiful. Even his death. If we were just to think of the image of a cross and think about what that means and the beauty of that moment and what it, what it says about our value and our worth and his love for us, like it's... It's beautiful. His resurrection, remarkably beautiful. And he created all of this. And I truly believe that a faith that is captivated, deeply captivated and in awe of the beauty of Christ actually has the opportunity to deliver to us the kind of depth and meaning and purpose that we're actually looking for. Aesthetically speaking, the story of Jesus is so beautiful. Even this moment, the, the idea that here we are thousands of years later because Jesus sat in a room with 12 individuals and said, I want you to do this. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember the beauty of, of what I'm gonna do for you. And I want the power of that to wash over you. It's such a remarkable, amazing part of our human story that Jesus did this and called us to this to be reminded that his body was broken, to eradicate religion, 
and establish a relationship that we could have with God. He did this so that we could be set free from our guilt, from our shame, from our worries, from our anxieties, to know that we're trusted and loved and cared for. That's what this is. So Jesus sat with his disciples and they were eating the Passover meal together and then he took the bread and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together and remember Christ. After they had eaten, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. That's an interesting word because for the people of Israel, there had been covenants, a covenant made with Abraham, a covenant made with Moses, covenants that God had made with his people. And Jesus says, okay, there's a new covenant. Like all those deals, they're off the table. There's a new deal between God and humanity and it is sealed it is written in my blood. This will forever override any thoughts you have about who God is and how much he loves you. And so Jesus said, drink this and remember me. Let's drink and remember Christ's blood. Would you stand with me? We live in a beautiful place, don't we? God is speaking to us. We just need to open our ears and open our eyes and see what he has for us. So may you be men and women whose souls are filled with words and life from the beauty that your creator has placed around you. May you hear him speak and may your life be full because you walk the pathway of beauty. In Jesus' name, amen.